Yes, that's right. Another edition of the Chief Zone Podcast. My name is Farzine Vesuvian, the host of this podcast. Appreciate you guys, as always, downloading and listening to this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. As most of you already have, hit the subscribe button on iTunes. If you haven't, be sure to do that. Share it on iTunes and Facebook with your friends. Let them know about this podcast. Speaking of Facebook and Twitter, you guys can also connect with me on social media, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesuvian. Or you guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21 and send me a tweet on there. Uh, Going to be a brief show uh, this week because unfortunately the Chiefs uh, are not one of the two teams competing in the Super Bowl, which we'll talk about next week, the matchup between the Patriots and the Falcons. But uh, Chiefs in uh, a full offseason mode, a uh, couple of changes already with the coaching staff, which we'll touch on a little bit later on in the podcast. Going to go over the Chiefs position needs as i promised last episode just kind of go over each position group talk about the positives and negatives of each group and whether or not the chiefs need to address that what i'll basically do is i'll go over each position and let you guys know if it's a high position of need that, that the chiefs must address in the offseason or if it's not that important or if it might be somewhere in the middle where it, it, it could be addressed but it, it's not as important as other certain needs that the Chiefs will, will need to address throughout the offseason. And, uh, of course, as always, at the end of the podcast, we will go around the NFL, go out of bounds, and also throw my penalty flags in. Uh, one of those uh, segments, we'll talk about the passing of Yordano Ventura, just a very sad uh, story that came out on Sunday morning. And uh, there are some things to talk about with that. I, I know the entire city was affected uh, I know some of you listening to this may not be living in Kansas City, so some of you guys may not be Royals fans, but I still think even so, uh, even Chiefs fans who maybe aren't Royals fans and don't live in the Kansas City area, I, I think in a way the past couple of years with what we've seen from the Kansas City Royals has, has, has kind of affected Chiefs fans too, including the non-Royals fans, because you see that in your city and you think to yourself... The team right across the street at the Truman Sports Complex can have the same amount of success. And what we saw with the Royals, uh, everyone in the city has fallen in love with the team. The team's dominated the TV ratings the past couple of years compared to other major league teams. And if I'm not mistaken, number one, uh, both season, uh, 2015 and 2016, despite not making the playoffs this year. And I've been one of the, uh, the Royals were 10th in attendance in 2015, the year they won the World Series. So attendance has definitely gone up the past couple of years with the success the Royals have had. And the passing of your Donovan Troy has definitely affected uh, a lot of people. And um, it, it, it's just it's just sad to see. Uh, you never want to hear this uh, with anybody, especially a professional athlete who so many of us uh, have fallen in love with. I mean, the entire team, really. I know your Donovan Troy is not the most talked about players such as guys like Hosmer, Gordon, Moustakis, uh, but, but but even he had a, a big hand, uh, Jordano that is, in helping the Royals get to where they are today. Uh, a pair of AL pennants uh, in the past couple of years and also a World Series championship, so uh, I'll touch on that l- a little bit later on in the podcast. But to start off, I mentioned the Chiefs coaching staff uh, already experiencing a bit of a shakeup here. Wide receivers coach David Culley, who's been a longtime assistant under Andy Reid, uh, he is expected to now be the quarterback's coach for the Buffalo Bills under new head coach Sean McDermott over there for the Bills. And a replacement 
could already be on hand, according to the Kansas City star, Therese Paler, who's been a friend of the podcast. Uh, and according to Paler, uh, the Chiefs might be uh, getting Greg Lewis, who uh, who is the Eagle, former Eagles uh, receivers coach, and uh, could be coming to Kansas City to reunite with Andy Reid. Uh, so there's that, and, and there are more expected along the way. We talked about the rumor with Brad Childress, uh, one of the co-offensive coordinators for the Chiefs, along with Matt Nagy. Childress is rumored to possibly go join McDermott in Philadelphia. And keep in mind, McDermott was also uh, under the uh, – he was an assistant for Andy Reid in Philadelphia and is now with the Bills. So he could be trying to get some of the uh, guys who Andy Reid uh, has also worked with in the past because there's that familiarity there. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I said this before, but I'll say it again. Uh, Brad Childress is a former NFL head coach. He once took the Minnesota Vikings to the NFC title game, very close to a Super Bowl. So I think he wants to get back to that point in his career where he is a head coach again and being the full-time offensive coordinator, maybe even having a a bigger duty, a bigger responsibility as a possible play caller. Uh, He may explore that opportunity, but so far, ever since the season's ended for the Chiefs, nothing has come out, but... Uh, that is something to keep in mind. Uh, for right now, the Chiefs still have a pair of offensive coordinators in Childress and Nagy, but we'll monitor that as it goes on. And of course, I'll uh, post something on the uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash Farzine Mizugin, and I'll also tweet about it as well, at Farzine21. One other big uh, source of news that I want to touch on is, and it's nothing groundbreaking, but it is the story with Eric Berry. Of course, he's expected to be a free agent if he is not tagged or signed, or re-signs, I should say, by the Chiefs, or with the Chiefs this uh, this offseason. He, he was, of course, tagged last year, the Chiefs and Eric Berry, unable to come to a long-term agreement, but the Chiefs do have the option to tag him again. Of course, if they can avoid that, the Chiefs could use that tag, maybe on Dontari Poe, if they're able to re-sign Eric Berry to a long-term deal. Uh, according to sources, uh, Eric Berry, he he had said in, uh, in an interview that he wants to stay in Kansas City for a long time. He wants to re-sign with the Chiefs. And the the team and Eric Berry's representatives, uh, which is A3 Athletics, uh, they're already in contact. So they're already discussing, of course, you know, whatever happened last offseason when they were unable to come to an agreement before the deadline in July. Uh, definitely want to put that in the rearview mirror, move forward. And Eric Berry had a terrific year. I, I mentioned he was my MVP. He, he helped the Chiefs win two football games. Uh, against the Panthers and the Falcons. If it's not for Eric Berry uh, in those two football games, you don't even win those games on the road. And on top of that, you probably don't even win the AFC West and probably end up settling for a six seed while we're at it. So uh, Eric Berry certainly had a big hand in, in the Chiefs winning the AFC West. And it's not it's not common you see a defensive player have this kind of an impact on a on a football team, and Eric Berry had that. He he made some big plays when the Chiefs really needed it. When the offense uh, was unable to come away with a score, the entire Panthers game on offense at least a touchdown, scoring touchdown of some sort, uh, and and the same thing in the second half in that Atlanta game. So again, Eric Berry, uh, I think he and his agent have a lot of leverage and a lot of reason to demand a lot of money. Uh, probably ten and a half to eleven million a year is what they'll they'll be asking. That way he can be. One of the top paid safeties, Tyron Matthew, is getting paid more than $12 million a year according to Spot Track. So that is something that you definitely want to keep an eye on because uh, most of the top paid safeties are getting at least $10 million. Eric Berry made $10.8 million from that franchise tag. So what's the negotiation going to be like? What's the final number going to be? I'm expecting it to be 
anywhere from ten and a half to eleven million. But if Eric Berry truly wants to be the highest paid safety, then we're going to be talking about a lot of money because Tyron Matthew, as I mentioned, is making he made more than twelve million dollars this past season, and he was the highest pay, he was the highest paid safety in the NFL. So that is something to to, to keep an eye on because. If Eric Berry wants to be the highest paid safety, then like I said, we're, we're going to be talking about a lot of money going towards Eric Berry, and it, it could be a hefty contract. And if he doesn't stay in Kansas City, well, uh, let's not forget, Scott Pioli, after he drafted Eric Berry, he made Eric Berry the highest paid safety in NFL history. And Scott Pioli, as of right now, is the assistant general manager of the Falcons lately. He's been getting a lot of praise, Pioli that is, for the job he's done in Atlanta, and he might have a second chance at a general manager job. And, you know, funny enough, there are rumors that John Dorsey could move on, but I don't anticipate a uh, a reunion between Pioli and, uh, whatsoever here in Kansas City. But I will say, if Pioli does stay there, even as an assistant, uh, that just gives Eric Berry an even better reason to, to go to Atlanta. Of course, we all know the story that that's where he grew up. That's his hometown in Fairburn, uh, uh, Georgia. And uh, he had that emotional game at Atlanta, uh, I, I referred to, with the uh, pick six and the pick two uh, in the fourth quarter. So uh, Eric Berry, I mean, there's there are a lot of reasons to believe why he could go to Atlanta. His hometown, and of course, Scott Pioli being the GM there, the guy who originally drafted Eric Berry to the NFL in Kansas City. So uh, that's something to, to, to consider if he doesn't stay in Kansas City. All right, let's move on and talk about the offseason and the position that the Chiefs should go after. I mentioned quarterback last podcast. I went way into detail with it. So if you want to check that out, go listen to the podcast. Personally, I think the Chiefs have got to go after a a new quarterback, a new starting quarterback. Maybe Alex Smith stays as your backup. I'm not so sure about that. But the Chiefs can part ways with him. For the first time, they can part ways with him and not suffer uh, a big cap hit with uh, with the salary there. And listen, I, I mentioned all those reasons as to why the Chiefs should draft a quarterback, and that's something that they should consider and see if they, there's any way to trade up. Uh, that way they can be in position to get a good quarterback like Deshaun Watson. And again, we don't know exactly where Deshaun Watson is, but I mentioned that's a guy who I'd be very happy to see here in Kansas City. I think he'd fit Andy Reid's system very well and can do a lot of things to uh, make the Chiefs' offense more dynamic than what it is right now, especially with the talent you have. Maybe you get Jamal Charles back, uh, and at that point you would have a strong uh, depth at running back. And let's go to the running back position because I kind of put middle on that one. I, I don't think it's a high position of need. I don't think it's low either. Uh, I know Spencer Ware and Charkandrick West were not as good or dominant as they were last year when they filled in for Jamal Charles, but there were still some things that they did well. Uh, I mean, Charkandrick West, he had that nice game in Week 17 against San Diego to help the Chiefs uh, win uh, the division as they also got help from the Broncos beating the Raiders. But on top of that, we we didn't see a lot of consistency from these running backs. I, Chuck, uh, Spencer Ware, pardon me, he is one of the better pass-catching running backs in the NFL. But there aren't a lot of obvious strengths with with what we saw this year from the running back core. So you you would like to hope for Jamal Charles, and I, and I know some people might be a little bit skeptical because of his injuries and what he's dealt with lately and that it might keep him away from being as dominant as he was before. But, uh, you know, if, if you can... It, it, let's say Jamal Charles does come back, 
at that point, if you're confident in him, really the running back position, in my mind, is not a position of need because you gave Ware and West contract extensions. And on top of that, you'll be getting Jamal Charles back. Well, I mean, his name speaks for itself. He's been the most prominent Chiefs player uh, the year after he got drafted, really. And by the way, really quick story, awesome story about Spencer Ware. I saw this on Arrowhead Pride on Twitter where uh, Joel Thorman, uh, who, who, who runs Arrowhead Pride, he did a, a fairly casual interview with Spencer Ware at a local clothing store where they talked about what Spencer Ware had been up to and what he's got going on. And during the interview, and again, it's a casual, and it's no sit-down interview, put on a mic or anything like that, but uh, a couple of fans uh, came in, and Thorman was pretty cool about it. He said, hey, you're, you go ahead, inter- interrupt the interview. We're not doing anything that important. And uh, some autographs were exchanged and all that. But, but before that, uh, Spencer, this is something we don't see often with professional athletes, but Spencer Ware, you know, he, he shook their hands and said, hey, man, apologize for, for wrapping on Sunday, and the fans are totally cool about it. Uh, I know Rudy Neiswanger, a former center for the Chiefs, also a guard uh, who came out of LSU. I I remember in the Kansas City Star, there was a story about how he got heckled in public during an autograph event. I remember Dexter McCluster, who's arguably one of the nicest guys you will ever come across. I've seen him uh, at a concert once at Sprint Center, and being a student at KU, he's attended basketball games at Allen Fieldhouse. And he is just so kind to everybody. I mean, everyone's around him because Dexter McCluster was a highly popular player even before he made his official debut with the Chiefs. A lot of people were so excited to see his speed in 2010 in training camp. Uh, He's just been one of the nicest guys. And I remember uh, one of the local TV stations, I don't remember which one, but they captured a moment where it's Thanksgiving week and McCluster is just trying to make an old uh, woman happy, signing autographs, and the woman's just giving him a hard time about the 2011 season, which was the same year Todd Haley got fired. At some point, you know, as fans, first of all, I don't think, you know, McCluster was doing a charity event. And if you're going to badger a a pro athlete like that, you honestly don't deserve the autograph, in my opinion. Uh, But seeing what what Spencer Ware did, I mean, you you really appreciate that. And you also appreciate the fans who were kind and said, hey, it's okay, get him next year. And then, like I said, handshakes, pictures, autographs, uh, I mean, that all took place, all that fun stuff that every fan wants from, from pro athletes, from their favorite athletes. Makes you feel sorry for guys like McCluster or Nyswanger. And again, I know some of these players in the past might not have been some of the best, but uh, this is how they feed their families. Sure, they're, they're making a lot more money than you and I are. But at the end of the day, they're going out there, putting it out on the line. And when they have an opportunity to give back to the fans at, at these public autograph events sessions, uh, it's just wrong for fans to to do that. Uh, Look, if you, if you're really bothered by the team's performance, just go to the stadium and boo. Don't, don't heckle them in person when they're trying to do something nice for the fans. And really, these guys are not obligated either. Uh, it's an option as to whether or not they want to attend these events and take pictures with fans and sign autographs. So, uh, a lot of them do it out of kindness, and unfortunately, uh, a few fans out there, they, they're they just not kind. But this was really nice to see, and that's kind of what I'll touch on a little bit with the whole Giordano Ventura situation, but I don't want to digress too much. I, I felt the need to bring that up. forgot to mention that, uh, but, but it was nice to see Spencer Ware just kind of have that moment with the fans where 
Uh, look, they set aside the fact that they lost to the Steelers a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's just a game. You, you know, you get your autograph, you put it on your wall, or you gift it to your kid. Maybe it could have been a late Christmas gift. Who knows? So uh, that, that was really nice to see. I, I retweeted it on uh, on Twitter at Farzing Twenty One. So if you haven't seen it, go to my Twitter page and uh, scroll down a bit and check it out. Uh, it, it's a really cool thing to see. All right, I'll go to full fullback. I, I don't want to say too much about that position. Uh, I, I think Anthony Sherman is one of the better fullbacks in the NFL, uh, especially on special teams. He's made some plays on there where he's earned special teams player of the week honors. So I don't think the Chiefs need to address that position. The tight end position, I really like. Obviously, no one's going to say anything bad about Travis Kelsey, despite him kind of being a hothead at times. He got that ejection earlier this year against the Jaguars. Almost could have easily gotten ejected against the Steelers. Fortunately, he didn't. Did drop that big pass at the 10-yard line that could have really pushed the Chiefs ahead of the Steelers at one point. Uh, but for the most part, he is one of the better tight ends in the NFL. A lot of people are saying that he's the best behind Rob Gronkowski, and I think that's a very accurate statement. I would definitely agree with that for sure. So, Demetrius Harris, who I know has kind of been a liability at times with his drops, but... He showed some improvement in the second half of the season, and he really came through in that Broncos game with that two-point conversion going up against one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL and Chris Harris, a former Kansas Jayhawk. So to me, in my mind, I don't think the tight end position is uh, is an area that, that, that the Chiefs really need to focus on. Maybe add a guy with depth if you don't keep John O'Shaughnessy or if they part ways with him. For the most part, I, I don't think that's a position where you're looking for a starter or a backup, provided that, of course, Nothing happens this offseason, no one gets injured, and you're able to move forward with Kelsey and Harris. Offensive line, look, I think there's I think there's a little bit of room to improve with the offensive line. For what it's worth, and I'll read Pro Football Focus's ratings, their grades for the Chiefs offensive line. And I'll start with Eric Fisher, who is a Pro Bowl alternate this year. And in my opinion, Eric Fisher... He's had some flashes during his time as a Chief, and they weren't always noticed. And generally, football fans don't notice good play from offensive linemen. I feel like Fisher has had his flashes, but didn't see a lot of consistency from him. I feel like we saw some of that consistency, good consistency, this year. Fisher was graded the 34th best offensive tackle. Now, by the way, keep in mind, it's both left and right offensive tackles from Pro Football Focus's grades that they provide online. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz, who the Chiefs acquired this past offseason, he was 27th. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, 28th. Zach Fulton, 39th. And Mitch Morris, the center from Missouri, uh, graded the 20th best uh, center in the NFL. So, listen, I mean, the offensive line, I, I feel like the way that we've talked about them in years past, they haven't been as good. But I feel like this is one of the better offensive linemen Kansas City's had in a while, really. Again, it doesn't compare to what Dick Vermeil had with Willie Rofe, Will Shields, John Wellborn, Casey Wegman, Brian Water. I mean, basically pro bowlers almost at all five spots. And I think as Chiefs fans, when we think about offensive linemen and how good we want them to be, I think we expect that Dick Vermeil kind of offensive line where you basically have a pro bowler at every position. And listen, if you take Rofe, Shields, Wegman and Waters, I'd say three of those four guys that I mentioned are probably the best guys, the best linemen at their spots. I mean, Will Shields probably 
the best guard to ever play the game. Uh, Willie Rofe, easily top five left tackle in NFL history. Casey Wegman, maybe a top 10 center in NFL history. Brian Waters, again, uh, probably one of the best guards to ever play. And they all at, at that time just happened to be in Kansas City. It's so hard to have uh, top 10 best guard center tackles on your team at the same time. Uh, you just don't get that often. I mean, that hap- that does not happen often. If you want to give me the five best offensive linemen to ever play together, Kansas City's won that award there. Unfortunately, did not translate into a playoff win of any sort, but still uh, had one of the, some of the best offenses that we have seen in NFL history in the regular season at least. So again, I think as Chiefs Chiefs fans, we get too excited when we see offensive linemen. And we were hoping they were as good as what we saw in the 2000s under Dick Vermeil's offense, but we just don't get that every time. Again, I don't think this offensive line was terrible. I know the grades may not be uh, as exciting to hear uh, or as encouraging, but for the most part, I feel like this offensive line did a good job. A couple of years ago, we were making a lot of excuses for Alex Smith. No touchdowns from the wide receivers. They were dropping passes on the way to the end zone or even in the end zone. Uh, And along with that, the offensive line wasn't doing Alex Smith a lot of favors there. Uh, giving him a little time to to even throw. So I feel like we've made enough excuses over the years. I, I feel like this year Alex Smith got what he needed. Uh, in my opinion, this is the best offense that he has been surrounded by. And this, at some point you've got to say, okay, maybe it's not the wide receivers. Maybe it's not the offensive line. We've got to make a switch at quarterback, which is why I've been so high on the, the Chiefs now uh, that they should move forward and find a new quarterback this offseason. All right, switching over to the defensive side of the football, and I'll start with the defensive ends. This is this is a position, well, I'll just do the entire defensive line together. And this, of course, depends on whether or not Dontari Poe returns or not. And this Kansas City defensive line, pretty underrated. I mean, of course, Dontari Poe, he gets a lot of attention. He's one of the, he's a pro bowler. He's been in the pro bowl a couple of times and also been voted as an alternate pro bowler. If he stays, look, there's no reason to look for a new starter at nose tackle. Chris Jones, who had a phenomenal rookie season, was drafted in the second round, but a lot of these redo mock drafts that we've seen after the 2016 drafts, they have Chris Jones going in the first round, so that just shows you that the Chiefs got a steal in the second round with this guy, and it was definitely worth the wait for for their first draft pick last year, and they scored high with Chris Jones. Allen Bailey, great defensive end. Of course, uh, his season was cut short because of the injury. And, and Jay Howard, I, I think, is definitely a guy who uh, the Chiefs were able to re-sign last year, but again, his season also cut short. Those are two guys that I, I'm really excited to see come back, uh, and I think there really isn't a lot of when your defensive line is healthy there aren't a lot of weaknesses with this defensive line I I, I truly don't see that uh, even if Dontari Poe moves on and doesn't return to Kansas City I mean, that's a big reason why the Chiefs drafted Chris Jones and maybe he shifts over to, to the middle of that defensive line uh, so, so for the most part I don't see a lot any reason to really go after a starting defensive lineman uh, and realistically who would you pick up at this point? So I, I think the Chiefs definitely uh, are, are set at, at the defensive line spot. Inside linebacker, that to me, and I think this is a concern for a lot of people, kind of similar to what they have with Jamal Charles, 
if Derek Johnson is not going to be the same dominant linebacker that he's been the past six, seven years, uh, and Romeo Cornell, of course, has been a big part of his emergence in the NFL, you, you might want to consider drafting someone. Now, of course, Josh Monger didn't play this year. He got injured in training camp. Uh, he had a couple of big interceptions last year, including one in the postseason right before halftime in that win over the Texans, preventing the Texans from getting a score of any kind, helping the Chiefs pick up that shutout win last year in Houston to get their first playoff win in 22 years. So overall, to, to me, the inside linebacker spot, there are some highlights there. I think Ramick Wilson, uh, he's a guy who I, I think has shown some flashes, but we didn't see a lot of consistency from him either. Uh, so so that's an important thing that the Chiefs defense, I mean, they'll definitely evaluate on that. And then, of course, uh, another player to, to keep in mind, uh, Justin March Lillard. Uh, that, that's a guy who has, has filled in quite a lot this year for the Chiefs. DJ Alexander, who's more of a special teams guy, uh, by the way, did uh, recently receive a Pro Bowl invite as a special teams player. And, and, I, and I didn't mention this, but it's worth noting Eric Berry won't be in this year's Pro Bowl. And I think that's due to him uh, being without a contract and in need of a new contract. If he plays in that game and gets injured, then teams are not going to throw the money that he wants. Uh, Justin Houston did the same thing a couple of years ago before getting that big contract from the Chiefs after nearly getting the single-season sack record. But uh, overall, with the inside linebackers, Derek Johnson, I mean, if he's healthy, if he's going to be the same guy, I think the Chiefs have uh, have got a great uh, group of linebackers here. And you know, you've also got Ramick Wilson, uh, hopefully Josh Maga able to come. They, they, they keep him on the roster. So overall, the Chiefs do have some really good inside linebackers that they can move forward with for 2017, especially if Johnson is good and healthy. If Johnson's not going to be the same guy, and I, and I know he's got two years left on his contract, maybe you do consider drafting someone early or going after a free agent, which we'll go over the list of free agents in a moment, uh, some of the notable ones at least. Uh, outside linebackers, uh, you know, I thought about this for a moment. I know Tom Bahali hasn't been the same player that he once was, but at the same time, is there a reason to really go after anyone? D Ford, I know he was very quiet after that surge he had getting his 11 sacks, but you also have Justin Houston, who once he returned, uh, he was in Pro Bowl form. Uh, it took him just uh, – he, he he had to get his feet wet a little bit in that Tampa Bay game. But at Denver uh, against Trevor Simeon, I mean, he terrorized him for sure. And he even got a Pro Bowl. He was a Pro Bowl alternate for the Chiefs. So that's pretty impressive. Barely even uh, – not, not even playing half a season and still getting that Pro Bowl invite as an alternate at least. Uh, that's pretty impressive for Justin Houston. So – uh, that was pretty cool to see uh, him get all those votes. It kind of reminded me of, uh, I mentioned this last podcast with All-Star and Pro Bowl votes, Kobe Bryant. I remember he barely played uh, a season a couple of years ago and was still voted in as an All-Star starter. So uh, you don't see that often, but it was nice to see Justin Houston almost get enough to be voted in as an official Pro Bowler. But that just tells you uh, how highly people think of Justin Houston in the NFL. So again, the linebacker corp, very good. Uh, you've got three Pro Bowlers there in DJ Houston uh, and Todd Bahali. And D Ford, again, was a Pro Bowl alternate this year. Again, I know that's not the, necessarily the official Pro Bowl. Uh, it doesn't necessarily go on their resumes, but it, it counts for something. And D Ford did a lot this year. At one point, led the NFL in sacks. Uh, after 
a fairly quiet couple of years in Kansas City, and that's because he's been behind a pair of pro bowlers. So it's been hard for him to get some playing time. And now I think with Tom Bahali getting fewer snaps and being more active in rotation with some of the backups, uh, and I think that's also due to Justin Houston missing the first half of the season, uh, the Chiefs seem to be proving why they drafted D4 in the first place. Let's go to the secondary. Uh, Marcus Peters, of course, uh, didn't have the same amount of interceptions he had last year when he tied the uh, tied the league for most. This year, uh, even though he he still was one of the league leaders, but more importantly, much better in coverage. Struggled with that immensely last year. Allowed the second most yards by a cornerback and the most touchdowns by a cornerback. This year, you actually saw quarterbacks pass the opposite direction of where. Marcus Peters was. So that was good to see for the Chiefs defensively and Marcus Peters uh, improve. And I think a lot of that goes to the secondary coaches. Emma Thomas, who, of course, was a former Chief, helped the Chiefs win a Super Bowl. As well as Al Harris, who's uh, who's the assistant secondary coach for the Kansas City Chiefs and a former player with the Packers. So I, I think that's really helped guys like Eric Berry, Marcus Peters, and even Brandon Flowers during his time here. I'm hearing, I'm hearing Kansas Become, uh, some of the better defensive backs at their specific positions. So overall, cornerback position, yes, you've got a good player in Marcus Peters. I was really impressed with Terrence Mitchell, who was, of course, a midseason pickup and did some good things for the Chiefs this season. Kenneth Acker, uh, that, that's a player who the Chiefs traded for during the preseason. Uh, Steven Nelson, one of the better slot cornerbacks in the NFL. Uh, Philip Gaines, Kind of on and off. There were some good moments and some bad moments. I'm kind of in the middle of this year. If you can get a better number two starting cornerback and maybe a guy like Steve Nelson, be, he's, he's he would be more suited. And then you would have to put a different slot cornerback there. I, sure, I mean, I'd be fine with that. If the Chiefs were certainly comfortable, then, you know, I think you have to trust this defensive staff. They're one of the best in the NFL, so you you would definitely trust their judgment on that. Uh, Terrence Mitchell could be that guy. Yeah, again, like I said, I was very excited with what he did. I think his uh, one shining moment for the Chiefs this year was against the Oakland Raiders on Thursday Night Football when the Chiefs only scored in the second quarter, but the Raiders were within striking distance uh, late in the game, and he had a couple of deflections to keep the Raiders away from the end zone. So uh, that, that that's a player who might be in line to possibly compete for that other quarterback, starting quarterback job for the Chiefs in 2017. So... I think cornerback, maybe it's a position you 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 kind of just look at the list of free agents and maybe there could be some surprise cuts. You never know. Maybe a player is available for a trade and uh, th- that, that's where you strike and try to, try to make a trade there. Uh, but for the most part, I don't know if that's a position that you really need to address. The safety position, kind of the same thing. There's room for improvement, but uh, there are other spots that the Chiefs need to worry about the most, especially if Eric Berry stays. If he does go, to me... Uh, this is a, an important priority because you do have a great pass rush. Uh, guys who can force ill-advised passes. So you're going to need uh, the Eric Berries and Marcus Peters is out there who can come up with some big takeaways. And not only that, these guys also know how to take it to the house. They've done it a few times. So the Chiefs definitely want to keep this defense intact. Daniel Sorensen, who, in my opinion, had the best season that he has had. I, I was not too impressed with his performance as a rookie in the preseason. I was surprised they kept him. Uh, but now we know why. And this is a guy who's really improved gradually. And I think this was his best year as a Chief. 
Uh, Ron Parker, another guy who made that transition from cornerback to safety and has done a much better job as a safety so far in the NFL. And I, I know a lot of websites tally these differently. But I did see from the Chiefs website at some point this year, Ron Parker was leading the league in pass deflections. Uh, so, th- th- I mean, this is really a great group of uh, of defensive backs, and I think that's also due to the pass rush. You know, we always hear a good offense helps a good defense and vice versa. You know, with, with defenses, a good front seven, a good pass rush helps a good secondary, and a good secondary helps a, a pass rush. So, uh, this Chiefs defense, I mean, all 11 guys, and of course some of the guys in rotation who come in, uh, they really do feed off of one another. They really do help one another, and that's why this defense, maybe they allow a lot of yards. Uh, I mean, it's pretty easy to move on this Chiefs defense if you're on offense, but at the end of the day, they don't allow a lot of scores, and they come up with a lot of takeaways, the most in the NFL this year. So this is a defense that, yeah, sure, they've got that bend-don't-break style. I, I, I think that's been the best way to describe the Chiefs team. I've been saying that all year long. They mentioned that during the broadcast uh, on Sunday night when the Chiefs played the Steelers uh, in the playoff game. So this is, the, I mean, that, that's the defense you have. And to me, I know that hurt the Chiefs a lot in the Buccaneers game when the when Tampa Bay took advantage of dominating time of possession and moving the football on this defense. But still, you only allowed 19 points in that game. And this defense, uh, even though they might be hurting at times, they'll still do what it takes to prevent them from getting into the end zone. They did exactly that against the Steelers. Uh, A lot lot of field goals, unfortunately. Uh, Enough to help the Steelers win the game over the Chiefs. But, you know, if that offense can can really improve, if they can show some consistency, then you're going to have a much more balanced football team and a more dominant football team too. I think it's been, there's been some bad luck with the Chiefs. Of course, in 2003 and 2004, they had some some of the best offenses we've seen in NFL history, but the defense just wasn't there and was not able to capitalize. So the Chiefs were involved in some high-scoring games and unfortunately couldn't come out on top in a lot of those games. Let's go over the list of free agents for this offseason. I mentioned Kirk Cousins as the really the only reliable quarterback who's not a rookie that that would be available this year and even then there have been reports saying that they're confident that he would return to Washington Alshon Jeffrey had some big years with Chicago hasn't been as dominant lately Vincent Jackson a former San Diego Charger on also with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hasn't been as dominant this year and part of it was due to injury uh one player that I'm kind of curious to see if the Chiefs go after uh again that's if he does not get tagged or does not uh, re-sign with the Redskins would be Deshaun Jackson. And, of course, a lot of that has to do with the familiarity with Andy Reid over in Philadelphia and also playing with Jeremy Macklin in Philadelphia as well. So, uh, I, again, I don't think wide receiver is a big position of the year. I think you've got some good wide receivers with Chris Conley, uh, Albert Wilson, DeAnthony Thomas behind Jeremy Macklin, of course. Uh, is there room to get a better number two wide receiver? Yeah, sure. I, I won't argue against that. And I think Deshaun Jackson would be an interesting guy to bring in. I think you could still keep guys like Conley and Albert Wilson. Maybe DeAnthony Thomas. I, I think he'd be kind of on the roster bubble if this move was made. But uh, that's that's an exciting move to think about with the Chiefs because uh, Deshaun Jackson, is, like I said, is a guy who's, who's played under Andy Reid. And familiarity is uh, is a big thing in, in sports. We, we talked about it earlier in the episode with some of the coaching moves that we've seen in Buffalo and the because of the familiarity in Philadelphia under Andy Reid. 
As far as offensive linemen goes, not the most exciting class of free agents. You've got Luke Jokel, who was taken after Eric Fisher. So, uh, you know, his contract is up with the Jaguars. Imagine Fisher and Jokel all of a sudden being on the same team after uh, the Chiefs had to decide whether to go with Fisher or Jokel. TJ Ling from the Packers. Again, if John Dorsey does stay here in Kansas City as a general manager, maybe that's the guy he tries to bring in who he had a hand in drafting over with the Packers. Other offensive lineman, Matt Khalil from the Minnesota Vikings. He'll uh, he'll be 27 this offseason. Uh, trying to go through the list here. You got Sebastian Vollmer, but you know, truth be told, I, I think Tom Brady can make any offensive line look good in the NFL. Andre Smith from the also from the Vikings, uh, the right tackle there. So, but I don't think the Chiefs go after a right tackle, especially with Mitchell Schwartz on the team. But overall, I, I think you've got a very uh, you, you, you've got a good offensive line, but at the same time, you've got some options to explore this offseason. Let's switch to the other side of the football uh, on the defensive line. Uh, and I mentioned the cornerback spot, if that's something that they could go after. The L.A. Rams, uh, they may be without Tremaine Johnson, who is viewed as the probably the defensive player who could make the most money this season. His 2016 approximate value was almost $14 million, 13.9 uh, 13.952 to be exact million dollars. So uh, that's a lot of money uh, that, that he could be asking for this season. Uh, Calais Campbell from the Arizona Cardinals, he, he could be demanding anywhere from 11 to 12 million a year, uh, whoever, wherever he ends up. Jason Pierre-Paul, not as good as he once was with the Giants uh, when the Giants were in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago against the Patriots the second time. But uh, overall, defensively, Trying to look at some some of the past connections with Andy Reid, and you, you don't see a lot of guys here on this list. Uh, I mean, maybe they go after some, some some of the guys like Julius Peppers, who you know, even though he is getting old, I mean, he's someone with Green Bay, so there might be a little bit of familiarity there. Uh, maybe a guy like Nick Perry, one of the other outside linebackers for the Green Bay Packers, but again, uh, probably more so Perry than. Peppers, because Peppers, if I'm not mistaken, he'll be 38. He's 37 now. He'll be 38 by the time next season begins. Uh, Vince Wilfork, who's 35 right now, uh, did play under Romeo Cornell again, this time in Houston, but would he consider Kansas City? Uh, if the Chiefs have that hole with Dontari Pogon, and maybe if they consider keeping Chris Jones at defensive end instead, maybe that's a player that the Chiefs could go after. Uh, even though he is one of the older defensive players on this list, he's still a guy who who can bring it, and he he definitely helped Houston uh, help make the not only make the playoffs but also pick up that win over the Raiders. The offense didn't necessarily show up in that game for Houston, uh, but that defensive line uh, came through. And even in the matchup against the Patriots, uh, Tom Brady did not look himself in that football game. Uh, he definitely looked a lot better in the title match against the Steelers. Uh, but that defensive line, and Wilfork included, as well as Davion Clowney, those are guys who definitely gave Tom Brady a hard time and, and enforced some of those defensive mistakes, or offensive mistakes, I should say, he made against the Texans. But again, kind of similar to Kansas City in a, in a, to an extent. I, was, I wouldn't say exactly. That Houston, offensive, uh, that Houston offense didn't necessarily come away with a lot of points to reward the defense for how they did against Tom Brady. I think if Houston had... A good offense, and I know they switched quarterbacks during the season, but had to switch back because Tom Savage had a concussion. They might be, they might have pulled off the upset in New England. But again, that, that I mean, luck always plays a role in the NFL and in all of sports, and you just take advantage of it.
couple of other outside linebackers worth noting. Trent Gold from the Colts. Bracavius Mingo from the Patriots. Eric Walden also from the Colts. Uh, not a not a strong list of defensive players, really. And to me, I, I'd be fine with that because the Chiefs, I don't think, really have a lot of big, glaring needs uh, defensively. Again, maybe a nose tackle with Dontari Poe if he does move on. If the Chiefs don't feel conf- confident with Derek Johnson, they could go after a new inside linebacker, maybe uh, go after a guy like Lawrence Timmons from the Steelers if he's available in March. But overall, uh, this is not a defense that, uh, to me, has a lot of needs. Now, Eric Berry is on this list of possible free agents. And I'll just say this because I've seen a lot of people, uh, there's speculation I mentioned he could go to Atlanta. The Chicago Bears could be a team in play with a lot of money to to use this offseason. There's no reason why, at the very least, Eric Berry won't be tagged. The Chiefs have to tag Eric Berry. If you cannot come to a long-term deal with him, I hate to say it, but I guess that's when you consider using him in a trade to get a couple of draft picks. That's exactly what the Chiefs did with Jared Allen a few years ago when they traded him for a couple of uh, third-round picks and a first-round pick. That allowed them to be very flexible in that draft, in the 2008 draft, where they got Glenn Dorsey, Brandon Albert, Flowers, Jamal Charles, a couple other players. But uh, for the most part, uh, looking at this defense, I think Eric Berry will end up in Kansas City. He wants to be here. Uh, yeah, sure, there's a lot that, that goes with the hometown and all. Uh, but listen, not everyone can play for their hometown. I, I, I think you settle with what you've experienced and what you've gone through. And, of course, Kansas City's meant a lot to Eric Berry with everything he's gone through personally and his uh, battle that he defeated against cancer and uh, the city got behind him on that one. So I think that personal experience, it's also made uh, Kansas city, his second home uh, as, as long as Knoxville where he played college. So I think, I think at the end of the day, the chiefs and Eric Berry will come to terms to a long-term deal. I don't think a franchise tag will need to be used, but if needed, got to use it because you cannot lose him and let him walk away. Uh, th- that's exactly what the Eagles did. They thought they were going to get Jeremy Macklin back, so they did not use the tag, and next thing you know, he ends up in Kansas City. So uh, if you're the Chiefs, you do not want to let a valuable safety like Eric Berry go. But by the time his career is over, easily could be top five, maybe even top three safety of all time. I mean, we're talking that kind of a player here, and that's why a lot of money it could be talk- discussing negotiations. And there's no there's no surprise for that. Everyone knows Eric Berry's worth and value, and uh, just how much of a playmaker uh, he is, how much of a difference maker he really is on the field. Special teams wise, listen, I I don't think the Chiefs really have a reason to address any of these positions. I think they will uh, keep Cairo Santos, who uh, his contract is up. He did sign that three year deal, so the Chiefs definitely want to work on keeping him. Uh, Dustin Colquitt, he'll be here. Uh, the Chiefs, uh, they're going to keep their long snapper, Winchester. Kick returner, well, first of all, we, we I mean, there's no, so, Tyreek Hill's easily the best return man in the game right now. Kick returner, though, he doesn't do a lot of kick returns. He did some of that in the Steelers game, in the, in the playoffs, pardon me. But overall, I'm kind of surprised with how the Chiefs have used Niall Davis. Because Niall Davis has proven to be one of the better kick returners when given the chance, he had that in 2013 and 2015. Of course, a lot of people talked about his kick return to, uh, to open up the postseason last year. 
to me, I'm kind of surprised they don't use him as much. I know I've kind of talked about on here that that they don't use him a lot at running back. I got a lot of tweets about that last year uh, when Jamal Charles was hurt. Why why were we not seeing Niall Davis much? But now we kind of know why. All right, so there it is, your off-season preview for me, the position needs for the Chiefs, and possibly some of the free agents that they could go after. We'll talk about some of the possible players they could draft in the next podcast. For now, let's go around the NFL. All right, Falcons offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan, the son of Mike Shanahan, a uh, longtime head coach in the NFL, uh, he was quoted recently, and I saw this on ESPN.com, saying that the Pats defense, the best we've seen. And I know the Patriots, when you talk about the Patriots, it's always Tom Brady and whoever his top pass catcher is, which for a while was Tim Brown. Now it's Rob Gronkowski, but at one point it was also Randy Moss. This defense never gets talked about for the Patriots. They truly don't. Now, they had a couple of guys before, like Mike Vrabel, Vince Wilfork, Teddy Bruschi, but there are a lot of defensive players who really don't get the recognition they deserve. I I mean, guys like Trey Flowers, uh, Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung, Malcolm Butler, Devin McCourty, Ryan Logan. I mean, there are some really good defensive players uh, on this Patriots roster that just don't get talked about. And I get it. It's Tom Brady. He's the he is the guy. I mean, he's Tom Brady. His name speaks for himself. But I think a lot of people don't give this Patriots defense the respect it deserves. And I think they're going to have a big hand in trying to silence the one of the highest scoring offenses in NFL history in the Atlanta Falcons. So keep an eye on that. I'm not going to give my prediction just yet, but I think a lot of people will be surprised as to just how good the, the Patriots have been more from a defensive standpoint. I'm not saying take away credit from Tom Brady in the offense. They always do a great job. However, the defense just doesn't get the credit that they deserve for their contributions and helping the Patriots win games and win big games big. All right, and I also want to touch on the ratings, the television ratings for this year and the interest for football. The NFL, they made a lot of excuses this year and blamed it on the the election, the, the race uh, and I get it because this year there was a lot of uncertainty because of the candidates that were running for president. So a lot of people were so focused on that, apparently. that's To me, that's the worst excuse ever. And yes, I know there were some Sunday evenings where you know the, there were some important political news to, to keep up with. But for the most part, it's not like these candidates were talking during the night of an NFL game. A lot of them were in the middle of the week where you don't have any NFL action. So to me, the NFL making the excuse that uh, what, what happened with all the uh, the races uh, from the Democratic and Republican sides and, of course, the big election uh, for the new, new president of the United States, uh, there's just no way. We have had elections before that have happened during NFL seasons, and we did not see a rating dip. Again, I get it. This election was pretty big. But I don't think that was enough to deter NFL ratings. I don't know exactly why. People say the the uh, lack of penalties being called, especially against the Patriots, uh, with their holding calls, similar to what how the Steelers did last week. Surprise, what do you know? Uh, but I, I don't agree with that either. Bad calls happen in all of sports. 
Uh, I know football is more notorious for that, but still, it, it happens in all of sports. I don't know why the ratings went down. I know The Walking Dead's been dominant at times against the NFL, but still, the NFL's the NFL. They're always going to have some of the highest ratings, and at the end of the day, I don't think the NFL cares much that they took a small dip in the ratings. Let's go out of bounds. All right, of course, on Sunday, we learned the unfortunate news, the passing of Giordano Ventura in a car accident in his home country of the Dominican Republic. Um, just just a very sad story. Of course, there were the videos and images of some of the Royals players, Salvador Perez, Eric Hosmer, Alcides Escobar, Mike Moustakis, who were, uh, who were in the Dominican Republic, as well as general manager Dayton Moore and manager Ned Yost. Uh, just uh, just tough to see because the Royals, like I said earlier, they captured our hearts. They really did. And it's, uh, I mean, th- these are guys that we just got behind. And, and like I just said this last podcast, anything that happens with these players, Eric, such as Eric Hosmer dating Casey McDonald, that's big news. Kelvin Herrera, I mean, he once had his uh, world champion, one of his, uh, his ALCS rings stolen in his home country. And that was talked about. Uh, but, you know, when Jamal Charles, again, I mentioned earlier, he's, he's been the most prominent player on your team the past few years. When he got married, that wasn't, not, that wasn't news. No one cared about it. But when you win championships, uh, every single player, and again, we just haven't had this experience in Kansas City before unless we lived in 1985. But again, in 1985, there was no social media like we have today. Today, the way, if you win the way the Royals did, Everyone becomes a celebrity, and everyone wants to know what's going on in their lives. Who is Eric Hosmer dating? Oh, uh, I mean, w- w- what's Salvador Perez doing in his offseason? I mean, he he, re- he and his girlfriend recently uh, welcomed the baby in the world, and that was talked about. Uh, I'm, I guarantee you there was a Chiefs player. Uh, I mean, he, he they became a father maybe the second time he became a father, and it just wasn't talked about. With the Royals, when you have that championship kind of success... Everything becomes news with the Royals. It really does. Um, you know, with with your uh, Donovan Ventura, it's just so sad to see what had happened. And like I said, we care about these guys. That's why we care about their personal lives to an extent as well. So uh, definitely rest in peace, your Donovan Ventura. There are some conflicting reports as to what happened, possibly an assault of some sort in which he could, he was also robbed. Uh, of his World Series ring, uh, but there are also some reports refuting that. I don't know what's exactly true, so don't take my word for that. I'm sure they'll investigate it and try to find the right answer as to what happened, but um, I just remember we were listening to talk radio on Sunday, and it was just so sad hearing all the voices and, um, you know, just me personally, uh, you know, working for the Royals and the opportunity they've given me and... Uh, it's you really do become a part of something special, whether you're you're employed by them, you're a player, or you're a fan. Uh, and I think the parade was evidence of that. I do want to say one thing: a lot of people are saying that they should retire his jersey uh, as a special way to honor him, and I completely disagree. Listen, just because someone's life ended early while they were on the team doesn't mean you retire the number. Let's not forget now. This is a guy who at one point was sent to Omaha, but was returned in half a day because of an injury that took place with the Royals starting rotation. On top of that, 
there were a lot of complaints about Jordano Ventura, and now we want to retire his number. I just think that's disrespectful to some of the better pitchers who have not had their numbers retired for the Royals. And you listen, you've got to be careful to not retire so many jerseys, okay? The Chiefs have done that a lot, uh, where they will just retire just about anyone's number. I mean, they have done that, and during OTAs, we have actually seen an offensive player and a defensive player with the same number. Now, of course, in training camp, that changes. Uh, but, but you just got to be careful. You cannot retire your Dono's number just because of what had happened this week and that he brought your team to a World Series. If his number is retired, you've got to retire pretty much everyone else's number on that roster. Even Johnny Cueto's because his, his even though he was just briefly with the team, he had a big hand in helping the Royals. In my honest opinion, the only Royals player right now whose jersey should be retired by the time their career is over with is Salvador Perez. Maybe Eric Hosmer if he stays a long time in Kansas City and continues uh, playing the way he is. But no, I I don't think you retire his number at all because of what happened. All right, final segment of the show. Let's throw our penalty flags. What a bad week it's been for the Kansas basketball team. Uh, There's the reported incident where an alleged rape took place at the McCarthy Hall, which is the basketball dorm. It's also the uh, because there are NCAA rules that say that you you, basketball players cannot receive exclusive benefits. Other students on campus have to receive the same benefits. So there are other non-athletes that are living in that dorm. It's not a big dorm, though. I mean, it's only got what 36 students. In there, including the basketball players, so there's that. Uh, but there was a reported rape incident that took place there. KU, by the way, lost to West Virginia. At one point, led the game in the second half and still looked ugly, got blown out in that game. Uh, and then the Bill Self press conference Thursday afternoon uh, didn't seem too confident about some of the questions that he had to answer there. And, and it was funny because there was a KU employee in that um, who was part of the broadcast team. And he tried to change the subject multiple times when Bill Self was dealing with some of those uh, tough questions. Shocker there. What do you know? But listen, um, obviously an investigation has to take place. So I get that part. I mean, you cannot, uh, innocent until proven guilty. I think we can all agree to that. But by the way, Carlton Bragg, who I have put on the penalty flag segment before, he's been suspended, not related to the incident, however, the uh, alleged incident, uh, at least uh, that's what the press release says. But listen, there are some questions that need to be asked. Why was a 16-year-old girl at, at the basketball dorm in the first place? Because Bill Self did mention that in order to get in, you gotta for a lot of dorms you gotta have your student ID to to swipe it or or have it scanned. Uh, Bill Self mentioned that there's got to be a fingerprint uh, used in order to get in to McCarthy Hall. So that kind of explains how maybe a 16 year old girl got there. Still, you've gotta you've gotta investigate it. Definitely, I'm sure there's. There are security cameras somewhere. You've got to have them on these campuses, especially nowadays with some of the things that occur. But this is this is something. That, by the way, the reason this is a story with KU basketball is because there were five players who were witnesses. Now, not witnesses of the actual incident, but witnesses 
of seeing the girl walk in and out of the dorm, uh, apparently. Now, there's still a lot of gray area with this story here. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, listen, I love KU. It's my alma mater. I'm a KU fan, but this is uh, this has gone on uh, quite a lot the past couple of years, and KU's gotten some national attention for this. And you don't want to be on the national spotlight for something like this. Not at all. And listen, if I'm the dean and the chancellor, you've got to step up and say something. You've got to do something about this. Luckily, they did something about one of the fraternities that were involved in a very ugly incident. Uh... But this is still happening too much, and it's not stopping. They've got to do something about it, because this is wrong. Absolutely wrong. All right, I know the past couple of topics have been pretty pretty mellow here, kind of a damper, but I'll end it on a good note. For uh, sports fans here in Kansas City, some big news, and by the way, you're going to hear it first on this podcast. This is the first place where it's being announced publicly so, uh, just uh, with some people I've been in, in, in contact with, I can confidently tell you, for those of you who are UFC fans, that the UFC is coming to Kansas City for the first time ever, coming to the state of Missouri and coming to the Kansas City area, first time ever, April 15th, Saturday, April 15th, at Sprint Center, the UFC finally going to make its debut in Kansas City. So you heard it here first on this podcast. Exclusive, I know, great stuff. That's why this podcast is so great, by the way. Kansas City, Sprint Center, UFC, Saturday, April 15th. Book it. Uh, not officially announced from the UFC yet, but it should be maybe this weekend during the UFC on Fox event. Uh, but it's likely to uh, be announced this weekend or the following weekend. So expect an announcement sometime soon, officially from the UFC and the Sprint Center. But uh, I'm telling you now, April 15th, that's when the UFC is coming to the Sprint Center. So make your plans right now. You heard it here first. By the way, if you want to hear more of my UFC and MMA commentary, be sure you follow me on Twitter and also like my Facebook page. I'll post links to my articles there that you can visit on Cage Pages. Com. My Facebook page, facebook.com slash Farzine Give it a like. You can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Please subscribe to the podcast. Share it on social media with your friends. Let them know about the podcast and have them subscribe as well. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Chiefs on Podcast. Next week, we'll recap the Pro Bowl, some of the Chiefs activity there. Of course, the coaching staff will be there. And then we'll talk about some potential players the Chiefs could draft. We'll see what options they have and where they could go in the draft, especially considering what what options you have in free agency. And depending how good free agency is, your uh, needs could change going into the draft. So we'll touch on that next podcast and kind of do an early preview of that and also preview the Super Bowl where I will give my prediction between the Patriots and the Falcons. Until then, have a good weekend. I'll talk to you next week.